Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. How do we understand the power of a metaphor? In her lecture, Living in God's Shadow, Rabbi Aviva Richman probes the image of a shadow to describe human experience with God. Let's listen. We'll start here with these verses from Shir Hashirim that I know and love and have studied with some of you already. And look at really two, two images that are here. A rose and a dove. I'm going to make this a little bit bigger. This is chapter two of the Song of Songs. We're on these midrashim in a, a course on thinking of the Passover Seder as a love story. But here I want to more, more focus on this image of shadow. So we have these two verses in the Song of Songs, where the first draws on the image of a flower. I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. So actually two different kinds of flower and how we might think of ourselves in this poem that is about being in a relationship of love with God. And we're going to look at Midrashim that deal with this word, a rose, and break it down into two. Chavuya and Seal, right? Hiding and shadow. And the main thing that I want to think about as we're looking at these, at these texts in this particular session is the complexity of what that shadow means, right? How that shadow could maybe point to hiding because we are feeling insecure, hiding because we're feeling not developed in who we need to be. And there's sort of a shyness or even embarrassment maybe even shame that's part of this hiding. And on the other hand, being sheltered in shadow as, as a totally different kind of posture in how this, this image of the shadow evokes our relationship with God. But the verse itself is just about flowers. And then we have a verse later in the chapter, Yonati hamadrega, my dove in the cranny of the rocks, hidden by the cliff, Right, show me your face, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, your voice is sweet, your face is comely. And so that verse that kind of in and of itself describes what seems like a hiddenness that's about not fully coming out of one's shell, to be private, to be protected, but maybe also not fully feeling who we are yet, and then a call into more. Um, and a call into fuller being, into visibility, in this call to show to show one's face and to hear one's voice. So the the poetry of the Song of Songs is obviously so rich and evocative for a theology that can be complex, that can hold these different meanings of shade and shadow, and hiding and sheltering. And so this is where we're we're moving from this metaphor and this image to describe a theology of hiding and emerging. And it's really, I think those, those verbs feel very central when we want to think about how our conceptualization of God, the way we think about God, affects our own being, our own posture. So our, our kind of first trek here in looking at these midrashim will be to trace like, what is the story here of feeling hidden? How does that transform perhaps into a story of being sheltered, sort of feeling a sense of, of divine love? And that's not just kind of good enough in and of itself 
Um, that is part of a story of us emerging into being, into becoming ourselves with a sense of, of purpose and maybe with a sense of greater confidence. This metaphor of God and shadow as really grounding a theology that has this, this kind of action arc, a theology of hiding and emerging. So this is going to sort of tell the story of Jewish history through this image of the shadow. I am the Rose of Sharon. What does that mean? So first we explore this word, we break it into two, and we have chet bet, that those letters refer to the shoresh of chiba, of love. So Israel says, I am the one and beloved am I. I am the one that the Holy Blessed One loved out of all of the 70 nations. So obviously there's a certain theology of, of chosenness here. Though I would say here that right, you see this kind of embedded in the language. The idea of being chosen from the 70 nations isn't so much a theology of kind of being better than the other nations. It's really about having a feeling of being loved, right? So in, in any sort of other relationship where it's one chooses their beloved, that doesn't necessarily mean you're better than everyone else. It's just that that, that sense of being chosen is tied to a sense of, of divine love. So that's as love. And then we get a whole different reading of, of Chavatzelet, and we're going to get there first through the second half of the word, Tzel, so now we have Chavatzelat Hasharon, a rose of Sharon. She'asiti lo tzel al But I created shade or shelter for God through B'tzalel, the artisan who created the ark and everything else in the Mishkan as they were traveling in the desert. B'tzalel, the name means in the shade, B'tzel, and then the last word of the name means God, and the way that this is being interpreted is we think of the artisan who crafted the ark and created the wings of the kruvim over the ark, sheltering the ark. That is an image of us as humanity creating shade or shelter for God. So that, this is, I think, this is a little bit of a surprising image to see first in the Midrash that the that when we interpret sale as shade and, and interpret B'tzalel, and you might interpret B'tzalel as he was in the shade or shelter of God, that as humanity, we live in God's shelter. Um, but act, and, and certainly in the Mishkan, you could imagine like, okay, that's where God dwells with us. That's supposed to give us a sense of being protected by God. God is there with us and sheltering us. But actually, right, the first thing that we draw on here is uh, humanity through the Mishkan, creating a shelter for God, which shifts the agency, shifts the responsibility. Um, it's not the tree is the, is the shelter that God is giving to us. This is our attempt to create some sort of space where God can, can flourish and be present in our own world. That's B'tzalel, right? And I think sort of fascinating to start off the journey here as sort of creating a, a trajectory where God may have been sort of hidden somewhere else. And by virtue of, of us as humanity making a space, creating some sort of sheltering space for God, that allows God to emerge from hiding into our own world and into relationship 
with us. That is the one image that goes in that direction. And the rest of the images here that sort of march through Jewish history or Jewish kind of meta history, the full, the full story from the moment of Exodus from Egypt all the way to the end of time, tell the story of history through this image of the Chavatzalet, that rose that represents being hidden in shadow and then emerging from that shadow with song. Chavatzalet Hasharon, sheer, like song. So being hidden in, in a shadow and then emerging into song, right? That becomes the story of our relationship with God as a people and as individuals and paralleled by God emerging into the world by us creating shelter for God. Um, okay, so we don't need to go through all of these examples in full detail, but you can see that, that we start with being hidden in the shadow of Egypt, and there's a sense in the way the Midrash relates this, I am she who was beloved in the shadow of Egypt, right? which seems to be, again, you can kind of go a couple of ways with this, and you notice there was a comment in the chat as well, just in terms of Middle Eastern history, right? shade is life-giving. If you're in a hot climate, it's not dark and scary. That shade and shadow is is totally life-giving. And at the same time, right, there could be, with this language of hiding, right, it could be that there's an element of being in a place that is downtrodden, which we'll see that the Midrash goes there very clearly towards the end. So in this language of, I am she who was beloved in the shadow of Egypt, anihi shayti chabuya b'tzilan shal mitzrayim, right, there's a sense of having confidence of that first line we saw in the Midrash of Chava as, as Chaviv and Chiba, there's a sense of confidence about being beloved, even in a situation and circumstances that may feel more difficult in this shadow of Egypt. Right? So there's, there's some clarity around being beloved, even when things might be dark. And also maybe that results in being able to feel a sense of being sheltered that this shadow sail represents shelter rather than just representing darkness or absence. So that's where we begin our history here. I was beloved in this shadow of Egypt slash hiding in the shadow of Egypt. And then right, God brought me forth to Ramses, gave me good deeds, Masin Tovim, and I recited a song as it says, Hashir Yavachem Kabel Hidkadesh Chag, that you will have a song like on the night of a sanctified feast. But this is sort of the first story of emerging, and it's not a complete emerging. It's an emerging that still happens at night. Hillel uh, Hidkadesh Chag, as I've, I've taught about at other times and other places. Right? This is an initial emerging that's actually an emerging while things still feel potentially um, dark, maybe stuck. It's not a total emerging into daylight, not even totally out of Egypt. Right? They're just in Ramses here still in Egypt. So that's the first moment of a theology that is about going from hiding into emerging. We then have the moment of standing at the sea, right? I also was beloved as I was hiding slash being sheltered in the shade of the sea. Very complicated moment, actually, to figure out what this is talking about. Is this when Israel is in total distress? They're on the banks of the Reed Sea. And they have the Egyptian army behind them. 
I was, I was hiding and sort of crouching in this moment of distress. This is, there's a midrash that builds on the, the line in our verse, being a dove hiding in the crannies. There's a midrash that reads that about this moment of being on the sea where, where there's the dove that is really, it's under attack. It doesn't know where to go hiding. So in that time of stress, right, still having this sense of being beloved, having some sort of confidence in relationship with God. Um, and then our moment of emerging, right, crossing through the sea and this time in a more kind of complete revelation, as the verse describes, right, pointing and saying, this is my God, and in that triumphant song of the sea. So that's our next moment of going from hiding into emerging as how we describe this relationship with God. And again, sail as being a shadow that could both be an awareness of our troubles and our difficulties, but also ultimately represents shelter and sort of safety and confidence, right? I think another thing that's that's confusing about this description of the, the shade or shadow of the sea, right? it could be also that that's in the shade of the walls of the sea. And that's really a moment of feeling sheltered rather than feeling afraid you assume it's at the banks before crossing the sea. Okay, so just I, I hope we're sort of picking up on how multivalent this word sail, shadow is in describing our relationship with God and how that, you know, I, I hope can give us the permission to confront, to speak to, to really notice whatever the circumstances we might be in, whether we are feeling more a sense of of stress or scary, that's part of this shadow image or feeling more a sense of shelter that those are kind of interwoven in these images. Our next moment in this trajectory of a theology of God and shadow as going from hiding into emerging, we have standing at Sinai. I was beloved in the shadow of Sinai, which could just be totally, right, totally beautiful. You imagine the mountain maybe somehow giving, giving shade as the people are standing around it. It's a moment of feeling close to God on the other hand, we know that the mountain was lifted, according to Midrash, over the heads of the people. And that was a moment of intense fear and intimidation. So being in the shadow of Sinai, again, kind of have this multivalent picture of feeling sheltered or feeling scared. And then there's an emergence that is also about finding our voice, this time not exactly in song, but in saying, we will do whatever God whatever God has said, and we will hear it. That's our voice emerging. So again, going from this, this sense of being, being sheltered, being sort of insecure, um, hiding, and then emerging and finding our own voice through that. And then our last scene here, this is us being in the shadow of the kingdoms. Right, I was hidden, and here we see very clearly Dimusa trampled. So that kind of takes away the reading of Chavuya that's about sheltering and safety. Although you could put forth that reading of of diaspora and having all these different opportunities and contexts to to grow and emerge in different cultures. This midrash does focus also on that word Dimusa to be to be trampled um, by the kingdom. So we, so we see here a kind of theology that really telescopes the rest of, of Jewish history from a kind of mythic sense as feeling trampled upon, right? Being in this, in this kind of darker side of, 
the shadow. And then there is a confidence here, right? Lemachar, tomorrow, maybe tomorrow's tomorrow or tomorrow's tomorrow's tomorrow. Some, some tomorrow, some day that is um, not infinitely far away. When God will redeem us, then we will sing a new, a new song, Shir Chadash. Right? And drawing on a verse from Tehillim that describes bringing a new song as some sort of ultimate triumphant stance. What I, what I hope sort of emerged both in the poetic frame and in the kind of narrative frame is the power of this image of shadow to describe experiences of, of insecurity, maybe doubt, and also experiences of shelter that might also be in that shadow that can ultimately kind of erupt in us, right? Having these good deeds, whatever they might be, right? Coming into our own sense of, of action, agency, responsibility, and finding our voice. I think, Bracha, to take in your comment, we are sheltered by the sea, not destroyed by it. Yes, I think, again, that, that image by the sea is, it's confusing, right? Because at first when we were right behind the sea and you could imagine us maybe being in sort of the, in the shade of the, of the sea standing right next to it, right? There, that was a moment of, of fear initially. And yet ultimately the sea comes to shelter us. And that might not just be about that narrative moment. I think that could also be some some sort of vision or picture for what it looks like to integrate the two sides of the shadow, right? To actually stare in the face like Israel staring at the sea with the Egyptian army behind them. That feeling of maybe total absence or total confusion or total difficulty and chaos that, that we might feel kind of absorbed by. And then somehow to see through that so that the very same situation can actually become a different kind of sail or a different kind of shadow, the shadow that shelters rather than the shadow that reflects kind of absence and fear, right? The sea, right? Pitsilo Shalyan, being in the, in the shade or shadow of the sea, I think can, can symbolically represent finding our way through a journey like that in whatever circumstance we might be in. How to find how the sea can turn into sheltering walls rather than feeling like sort of total chaos and fear. And maybe this also relates to, to Leia's comment and the confusion around how do we understand the, the reference to Ramses in that first scene in the text, right? You say, I'm uncomfortable with being gathered to Ramses as some kind of moment that's redemptive. I think what you should do is that even, even during slavery, even when Israel were in this status of, of slavery, they were able to somehow flourish as a people. And I do think that's a really powerful part of this text. Maybe also referring to Ramses as like, Ramses was also their first stop on the way out and, and might have been actually quite powerful as a place to, to gather, to feel the first kind of sense of redemption, even as they weren't totally free yet. So. Again, this other image of like, okay, we could be in shadow and all of the difficult things and all of the fear that shadow can represent and somehow, right, also at the same time, or maybe sort of find our way to that shadow and fear becoming a sail, right, a shadow that is actually one of shelter, sort of find what can be a moving, motivating, a catalyst. 
in that moment that ultimately brings us to song and expression. Okay, I want to actually pick up on this reference that Jennifer is making to the Midrash that envisions the sea as parting in 12 rows, right? One for each tribe um, with windows in each wall so they can see each other. But this is where I think the, the trajectory of, of this Midrash, again, going from the hiding into emerging, a theology of hiding to emerging, that I think that the 12 different rows also gives us an even more robust image of redemption was about finding themselves and their identity, right? Coming into their own selves and identity and that their relationship with God somehow kind of midwifes that for them. So it's not just the people as a whole are redeemed, but what that redemption looks like is each person kind of emerging into themselves, finding their their deeds and finding their voice, that language of sheer. Gail's comment here about trees, love this, trees, and if we're talking about shade, we might as well talk about trees and shade. So bringing us to both Eden, um, where there are trees, which give shade, and also Abraham welcoming his guests under a tree. So I think that's actually huge. And that and thank you for bringing our attention to the, the shade or shelter that Abraham provides to the angels. Um, right? There's actually a Midrash that said it was through the merit of Abraham providing that shelter to God, right? By saying to the angels, come under my tree. If you think those angels were divine beings, that's Abraham giving shelter to God. It was in that merit that Israel got the shelter of the, of the clouds of glory, the Ananeha Kavod in the desert. That actually, again, also structurally in this midrash, the way it's presented, there's first an act of human sheltering of God, right? Human kind of offering hospitality towards the divine that then kind of kicks off a spiral and cycle where, where the divine shelters us as well. Okay, I'm going to close with one last piece, which I'm always a little bit shy about sharing, but it's, it's a poem that I wrote years ago. I, I think why I feel like it's so important to have this image of shadow in understanding our relationship with God is it does allow us to name some of the ways that people over the years have currently do relate to God as having a dark side, right? For any skeptics who are around here who might have jumped into a seminar about God because you have a lot of concerns about the way God has been and can be invoked and what that means for real people in the world. And I think it's kind of helpful to have the word shadow to describe this relationship and not to just sort of pretend that it's a quote unquote rosy picture, so to speak, right? To, in, to, to sort of take that rosy picture, some kind of ideal, idealized or naive picture of the divine and actually say, like, there can be sail here. There sometimes can be shade, there can be shadow, there can be a darker side to this. And and what does it look like to sort of notice that and confront that head on, not pretend that it doesn't exist? And right, try to turn that into a shade that is actually sheltering and is something that we can sort of grow from, be moved by be motivated by and to emerge 
to emerge out into the world more fully. That's where I think having this language of, of shadow and this idea of living in God's shadow is maybe like particularly powerful to identify and not run away from ways that trying to sort of embark on a religious life can mean living in God's shadow in a sort of negative ways that we might be constrained by how people have, have related to God, but try to feel, try to feel animated by that instead. So this is like, what, what does it mean to kind of go from these texts, all these rich texts from right now and that you've been studying all week and to embrace these different depictions of God, ways of relating to God as kind of part of our own practice and life. This year is not entitled God's shadow. It's entitled living in God's shadow where there's like, there's a gerund, there's an ING, there's action that needs to kind of inevitably flow from our relationship with God. And then I think also sort of meant to try to capture what a theology of hiding to emerging looks like, right? What does it mean for our relationship with God to be something that actually does help us move from um, from a posture of of hiding, maybe holding back, to be able to march forward out into the world in our in our full voice and do what it is that we need to do. Maybe do what it is that we need to do in order to create a shadow, in order to create a shelter for for God in the world. I'll read this quickly. Um, after Shacharit. It's entitled after Shacharit because you can imagine how after the morning prayer, Shacharit, this was after saying Shacharit outside, you could look down and see your shadow, sort of long, long shadow. So that's that time of day invites this image of the shadow. That is, that's the haiku. She is the shadow, this God of mine stretching far, rooted at my heels. Sail over alai, nintach ad ein sof, neachaz ba'afar akiva. The general starting off point is, is sort of naming that God could be a shadow, and there's all sorts of ephemeral aspects of shadow, um, sort of drawing on a phrase that comes you know, well from high holiday liturgy, where, where we are all described as, as passing shadows. We have finite lives. So to a, a little bit describe that kind of ephemerality to God, but also the ways in which the sort of History of how we conceive of God and anybody who touched anything on Maimonides and negative theology over the past few days, right? How there's a problem maybe in even trying to name our relationship with God because it will be confining to the infinite. So there's ways in which our conceptualizations of God can actually become a sort of shadow, can become limiting or distracting or actually kind of lead us astray. So just naming that right off the bat, she is a shadow, this God of mine. But then sort of seeing how, and you can imagine sort of looking down at your, at your own shadow from your own body, that that shadow also stretches far. You know, it's sort of meant to be an indication of the infinite. This shadow could stretch very far. So even as there's a sense in shadow that like ephemerality might be there, might not be there, the doubt we might have about God's presence but there is also the possibility of God as kind of transcendence and infinite and actually being an, an incredibly powerful force 
even as it is so ephemeral, right? The, the language in the Hebrew here, nimtach, adding, so if nimtach is drawing on a verse in Isaiah that describes God sort of stretching the firmament, the skies in the creation of the world, and stretching ad insof. So it's, there's sort of a, a fragile stretching of the skies over the world, but it could still be powerful, even though it's fragile. It can, it can be infinite. And then the, the poem kind of comes back down to earth and comes back down to our own, our own bodies and our own beings as really having agency and being the vehicles through which there's any hope of experiencing God's presence in the world. Right? This rooted at my heels idea, drawing a little bit also on Abraham Joshua Heschel and praying with our feet idea. That it's not, it's not about what we pray and it's not about what we learn even. At the end of the day, the possibility for having any kind of sense of God is rooted in our own heels. It comes from the actions that we, that we take to do, to be like Betzalel was to create that possibility for God's presence to be, to be manifest in the world. And there is a little bit of, um, of an idea here. If you take this, if you take this image seriously, it could be kind of reductionist where essentially God is our own shadow. Like we, we can run the risk of creating God in our own image. But also, I think the more hopeful vision around our own relationship with God is that through the real actions that we take in the world, um, there is a hope of actually um, making God's presence more palpable, and that's God's presence that stretches far, the sort of infinite Ein Sof aspect of God's presence. Like, we could actually do the work that needs to be done in order to make it, to make that sense of God felt. So to take even Howard's example of like, well, we might live in a moment where we are really not feeling that divine shelter, that divine shadow, and the world needs it in a very serious way. Like, okay, the charge is, you know, after all of the learning you've done on God this week, how's that going to be rooted in your heels? How are you going to emerge from that and take responsibility for the possibility of knowing God in ways that you may have latched onto, been excited about, felt motivated about, felt nourished by? But if it's rooted in our, in our heels, how, how is, how is all of that going to happen? And in the Hebrew here, there's also a bit of a reference to um, the Akeda, Akeda Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, Afar Akevai, right? You know that the, the ram was, was caught in the bush when Abraham sees the ram as an alternative to sacrificing his son, right? It was caught there in the bush. So having a sense of, of this shadow, this sort of image of God and possibility of God that we want to exist in the world, that that is caught up in our own actions. Um, and if we approach that maybe deliberately and with good intention, we, like Abraham, can sort of find a way towards um, towards salvation and redemption rather than what might be a more destructive kind of relationship with God. At the end of the day, we kind of have to take responsibility for what people and what our world can come to know of God, um, and that can be for the worse, and it can be for the better. So that is a sort of closing prayer for us, is that we can draw on the learning, whatever it has been, um, over the course of the few days, 
try to attach it to our heels, so to speak, kind of ground it in our in our own lives, in our own actions, and make a more more beautiful world for that. Our producers for this episode are Sam Greenberg, Jeremy Tabak, and Susan Pilevsky. Thank you to Nadav Remez for editing this episode. Additional editing by David Chavinsky. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you. <laughs>